You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Driving Law Podcast. Today we have an action-packed, jam-packed episode for you. Not actually, um, but we do have a very interesting episode. First, we're going to be joined by Grant Gokatru, uh, who talks to us about what your obligations as a driver are when it is Snowmageddon, which it is right now in the Lower Mainland. Um, and then we are joined by Chuck Rathburn, who is an Indiana DUI lawyer, talking about some recent issues with uh, disclosure and certification of breath testing instruments in Michigan and what implications that could have for the company that does the breath testing instruments that are used here in Canada, as well as in uh, Indiana where Chuck practices. So a lot of really interesting information. And at the end of the podcast, we'll check in uh, with our sometimes co-host, Paul Doroshenko, uh, to talk about our ridiculous drivers of the week. So without further ado, uh, here is Grant Gottgatru uh, of Gottgatru Consulting, Darth Radar, to talk about snow and your obligations as a driver. Welcome back to Grant Gottgatru, who has uh, been a longtime friend of this podcast and frequent guest. Grant, thanks for agreeing to join me tonight. Oh, well, thanks for having me back. Well, I'm always happy to talk to you. Um, I wanted to talk to you because, you know, I had a very treacherous drive to get here to the studio in Richmond where we record this podcast on account of Snowmageddon. Um, yes. which was happening here in the Lower Midland this week. And um, I thought that uh, I would reach out to you for some of your insight as a retired police officer. What are the actual le legal obligations on drivers when it's snowing? Well, legal obligations starting with their, with their driving habits uh, you can uh, be ticketed and fined and uh, get points uh, assessed on your driving record if you uh, speed relative to the road conditions. So if there's snow on the road uh, and the road is in such condition that you can't even maintain the posted speed limit, um, that's one of those cases where you can actually get a ticket for doing the speed limit even though where where the roads don't allow you to actually do that so you're speeding too fast for the road conditions so if you go into a corner too fast too hot you know and you and you launch your car onto the sidewalk and into a tree or into a parked car you you most likely will be facing some sort of charge like that from the police um, especially if there's some eyewitness but of course those people that would get those tickets would obviously reach out to a you know experienced traffic lawyer <laughs> to uh, to challenge the validity of that ticket. But yeah, so if you're driving too fast for the road conditions, there is a there's a specific charge for that. That's um, a one forty four one C. Correct, yes. Only three points, but still, you know, why do we want to give more of our hard earned money to ICBC? Well and it's and it's considered one of those high risk offenses for your insurance in the sense that you'll now get an automatic insurance rate increase for a drive of speed relative to conditions as opposed to a regular speeding ticket. Yes, if it's one of those that ICBC determines high-risk driving behavior, then of course they'll, they'll do whatever they 
they, they deem is, is, is necessary in, in their eyes. Absolutely. Um, so that's more or less for the speeding part if you're driving too fast. But just keep in mind, just generally speaking as well. If, what about like what about if you're a driver who's, you know, who's good at driving in the snow? You're experienced at it or you have, a, yep. you know, good snow tires on your car and four-wheel drive and you want to drive close to the speed limit or the speed limit and other vehicles are driving less uh, less fast because they have, you know, less sophisticated cars or their yep. tires aren't as good or they're doing, you know, front-wheel drive or whatever. What, what then? Like, uh, are you... Are you supposed to just wait for them, or should they be doing something to signal how slow they're going? Well, it depends on the, the layout of the road, and the Coquihalla is a great example of that, where you'll see everyone crawling along in the right lane uh, at well under the speed limit, but you'll see 4 by 4 is passing in the left lane because they can't, and they're not doing anything wrong. Um because they're able to handle the road um, based on their vehicle. Mm -hmm. So, and keep in mind that people that are under the speed limit, like are driving like really overly cautious in the snow, they're not necessarily driving to the limitations of their vehicle. They're driving to the limitations of themselves. <laughs> they're too scared to drive in the snow so they shouldn't be on the road, but if they have to be on the road, then they're going to drive. Basically, you can almost pass them on foot. Okay. So... Do, should uh, they be putting on their four-way flashers? Like, how should they be signaling that they're a potential risk an, to other drivers? That is entirely a, a call by the driver. I see some professional drivers, they'll have their four-way flashers on. But keep in mind, you as a motorist have to pay attention to the vehicles in front of you. So if you're driving along and you're approaching a slower-moving vehicle, the obligation is for you to take your right foot and put it on the brake of your vehicle and slow down so you don't go thundering into that car that's in front of you. When there's snow and it's snowing, you have to have a heightened sense of awareness when you're out there, higher than any other um, situation, um, even fog, mm -hmm. because... With snow, not only do you have visibility issues, you have significant traction issues. Okay. And you're not going to get that in the fog. You'll have visibility issues, but you won't necessarily have traction issues. So snow, you really have to have your head on a swivel. Your, your self-awareness must be through the roof. You have to be really aware of your surroundings and give yourself, obviously, I mean, we've all heard this a thousand times, lots of stopping distance, you know, Lots of time to get to and from work, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that that type of thing. So those those deal with the driving part because obviously if, if you get into a collision and the police decide that you were traveling too fast for the road conditions, well, you know, as you know, as an experienced lawyer, that yeah, they can go with a ticket, but they can also, you know, if they deem it uh, significant enough, they could uh, issue an appearance notice and, and compel a court. A compel a court appearance if they decide that maybe you're driving without consideration for others. Right. Or driving without due care. Now, what about obligations under the Motor Vehicle Act regulations for, like, tires or things like that? Is there is there a requirement? The, so the regulations pertaining to tires, all tires uh, must have sufficient tread, whether they're summer tires, all seasons, or winter. 
And those are set out in the Motor Vehicle Act regulations, which is available online for any of your listeners to go take a look and go, well, how do I know, you know, what the tread depth is permitted on my tires? Every tire manufacturer has a wear bar in the tread. Mm-hmm. If your tread gets down to the wear bar, you need to change the tires right away because you're going to get a ticket. If you're on the wear bar, it basically means you've got to change your tires now. And that applies to all tires, summer, mud and snow, all seasons, and winter tires. I don't know of anyone who drives with simple summer tires anymore. I really don't, unless you live in, like, Arizona or something. I think pretty well 99% of the vehicles in the lower mainland all have at least mud and snow, and that is sufficient Mm -hmm. for the lower mainland. There are areas throughout the province where there's signs that mandate you must have winter tires on or a certain grade of tire. That doesn't, we don't have that in the lower mainland. So you certainly get away with mud and snow down here. Um, But again, if if you're driving with summer tires on or you're driving uh, with uh, mud and snows or winter tires with insufficient tire tread, uh, you could get a ticket for that, obviously, for insufficient tire tread, and it's a $109 fine, and there's no points. It doesn't go on your driving record. How, how does an officer measure your tire tread? Well, there's two ways. Um, an officer can look at the tire, and any part of it is smooth. You can tell where the tread is gone. Right. So it's basically a smooth tire. Sure, if your tires um, are bald. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I have seen some vehicles that have been like that, where the tires have been basically like racing slicks. And it's like, okay, well, that's <laughs> not only that's a ticket, that's a, that's a, your vehicle's off the road. Yeah, it's great if um, you're on an NASCAR track. <laughs> exactly. Um, the other thing is that the officers can look for the wear bars. Are they down to the wear bar? What's a wear bar? The, Assuming I've never bar, actually looked at my tires, okay? Oh, okay. Well, if you look at your tires, and if you're looking down on your tire, you'll see that the tread is running, let's say it's running, if you've got your tire in front of you, it's running horizontal to you, mm-hmm. okay, the tread. But the gaps in the tread, you'll see a wear bar that's horizontal. Oh, and it's deep in there. But as the tread wears down, suddenly the tread will be level with the wear bar. Oh, interesting. And that's how they... That's how and they that's, kn- that's how you... Way. Yeah, that's how you as the owner go, oh, it's like when your brake pads go down to those squeaky sound, letting mm-hmm. you know time to change your brake pads. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we ignore it. We go, why, why am I brake squeaking like that? It's just the weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the warning. It's telling you, get your brakes checked. Same thing with the tires at the wear bar. Um, other experienced traffic officers like myself, uh, we have uh, a tread depth gauge, which really? actually measures the tread depth in millimeters. And what we do is we place it on the tread, and there's a little stem that goes down between the tread mm-hmm. uh, into the valley, if you will, and uh, that's measured in millimeters because it says in the motor vehicle regulations how many millimeters is permissible. So the tread depth, which I still have, I still have my tread depth gauge. Well, you can just buy them at Canadian Tire or whatever. But anyways, um, you can just buy them at, a, at an automotive store. Okay. And is there a, are there points for these these tread depth uh, no, tickets? No, no. Insufficient tire tread. Well, 
Insufficient tire tread is under uh, Division 7 of the regs, and it goes against your driving. It doesn't go on your driving record, and it doesn't form points. So it's fine. But that's fine if, if you're just randomly stopped by the police. The problem becomes is if you get into a crash. If you get into a crash uh, in, in, the, in the winter, the snow on the road, uh, a smart police officer will look at your tread on your tires. They'll look, first of all, to make sure you're not riding with summer tires. And then the second thing, they'll go, okay, mud and snow. Let's check the tread depth of all four tires. And if any of them are insufficient, then you run the risk of getting uh, the $196 fine for drive without uh, consideration for others, because that's what it is. And, and, and my experience from tickets that I've written for those is that that's exactly how the judges convict. That They say, yes, that is driving without consideration. Um or the higher penalty if someone is seriously injured or killed, uh, you could be facing a charge of criminal negligence causing death or bodily harm, in which case they're going to have to reach out to an experienced lawyer like yourself and say, help me. Right. And that, help, uh, help me, Obi-Wan. <laughs> well, You're I, my only hope. I, I can tell by, by uh, potential criminal negligence causing death clients out there that Unless your tires are like race car level bald, you're probably yeah. sitting pretty on that charge. Probably, but if the police decide that, you know what, your tires are below the wear bars, mm -hmm. then they're going to levy the most uh, serious charge that they, they can because there's, a, there's bodily harm or a death, in which case whether or not you know, the, the person uh, beats the charge or not, for lack of a better term, they're still going to have to go through the stress of having to go through the criminal justice system. So. Right. And, of course, whether or not your tr tires are below the wear bars and whether or not you have adequate tread depth is also something that ICBC is going to take into consideration um, in looking at your insurance coverage. Well, there's all that, well, exactly. And that's what some people don't consider. They don't consider, they think, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, oh, I'll just get a ticket, I'll fight it, or I'll get a charge and I'll fight it. But the problem is, is then you have to deal with ICBC. And if ICBC decides that they're not going to cover you for whatever reason, because you've, you've breached the contract because of whatever, because whatever they decide, then you're screwed. Because while ICBC will pay out the other party, they will then come after you for the loss. Right. Because your insurance is no longer covered. That's the same thing with people that drive with no insurance. They think, well, I'm going to... No, it's, it's not even the ticket. You could be financially ruined if you get into an accident for no insurance because ICBC will come after you for whatever they pay out to the other people. Plus, then they won't cover the damage on your car. And, oh, it's just a nightmare. And like I said, why do we want to, you know give ICBC any more money than they're already taking from all of us, right? Yeah, we pay enough in insurance. We don't need to pay for oh, nothing. Oh, it's, it's awful. But the problem why we have such pandemonium down in the lower mainland here uh, with, uh, with motorists in the snow is because we don't get a lot of snow down here. We get, what, one big dump of snow a year. Yep. And, you know, on those days, most people stay at home if they can. I mean, I, I recognize them if they can um, and they just, they're just not accustomed to driving in the snow. So they will either drive way too fast, way too slow. They won't give themselves enough uh, stopping distance. You know, my, my, my daughter, when she got her driver's license, um, first time she drove in the snow and she came into the cul-de-sac here, she just was driving like it was a sunny day. And she, you know, obviously she went to turn the, the wheel and the car went straight into the neighbor's hedge. Yeah. 
that's and she came in and goes, I don't understand what, <laughs> what happened. happened. It's like, okay, yeah, what <laughs> happened? It's like, okay, we're not in Arizona. Yeah. Snow is slippy. Don't, you know, you don't remember your little toboggan when you were a kid? Slow is, snow is slippy. Um, <laughs> she just wanted to so, go on a really, a, a really fun toboggan ride in a two-ton toboggan that could kill people. Oh, it was, it was, and she was just, she was disgusted by, not by what she did. It was more like, oh, there's snow. See, well, welcome to it, right? But you know, what are you going to do, kids, right? Yeah. Um, but we don't, the drivers in the Lower Mainland, for the most part, don't have the experience. They haven't retained enough skill to remember how to drive in the snow. Yeah. Okay. Whereas, whereas everyone else in the BC and everyone else in Canada just laughs at the Lower Mainland. <laughs> well, thank you. This is useful is insight. People should check oh. their tires. That's the important thing. Check their speed. And yeah. check that they're uh, keeping their foot on the brake if they're behind a vehicle that they think is going too slow, rather Correct. than driving and, aggressively. And one piece of uh, one piece of uh, information that some people forget is if you start to lose control of your vehicle. Oh yeah, this is useful. Either going down a hill, let's say you're sliding down a hill, or you start to just lose control. Pop your pop your pop it in the neutral, mm -hmm. because when your vehicle's in drive, the back wheel or front wheel drive. Uh, continues to rotate even at a very slow speed. So if you're starting to slide down a hill, if you put your brake on, it's not going to do anything because the rear wheels are going to still want to go. So pop it in a neutral. Yep. Okay. Pop it in right. neutral. I will remember that when I'm driving home tonight in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> you drive safely. But you know what? If something happens and you end up, you know, getting a ticket from uh, the police, then reach out to me and I'll help you. Oh, thank you, Brent. I, I think I know a few lawyers, but <laughs> thank you. Oh, yeah, but you, you might need a consultant, right? Anyway, so that's good. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us here on the Driving Law Podcast. We always appreciate your insight. And if people need to reach you, where can they find you? Oh, I'm on the Twitter. Uh, just look for Darth Radar. I'm on... Oh, even have a Facebook page, Gotcha Consulting, or just look up my web my website, GotcheConsulting.com. Uh, yeah, if you, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's actually ForensicTrafficPro.com. Okay. Forensic but uh, if you Pro. just Google if you Google Darth Radar, you'll see my name, and then you can find me from there. Excellent. Well, thank you again Great. for your insight, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again on the podcast soon. Thanks, Kyla. Take care. And now we are joined by Chuck Rathburn of the Rathburn Law Offices in uh, Indiana. And Chuck is, I would say, one of the smartest people I know. He is also, interesting fact, one of the only lawyers besides Paul and myself that own an Intox ECIR2. So not only is he one of the smartest lawyers I know, he's also one of the uh, most uh, technologically equipped to deal with impaired driving cases. So... Chuck, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm happy you could come talk because you and I had actually been talking this morning about some news that broke out of Michigan. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what's happening with in Michigan? I, I will. And if we don't have all of the information yet. The state has not really disclosed what they found. But as of last Friday, January 10th, they had um, pulled all of their Datamaster DMT breath testing machines out of service. And what has been reported is the company that was um, doing their routine maintenance checks was falsifying those documents such that 
the state of Michigan can no longer get the evidence directly into court um, just by showing the piece of paper. And so they have pulled the machines for now. Um, they have um, instructed the company that I think they're going to go after them for breach of contract and possibly some criminal activity. Wow. And they're really um, aggravated. Um, since you and I talked, um, this investigation has been going on since August of 2019. Really? And, and, yeah. And, and this information just came out today? Yeah, or last Friday. So they five months that they were sitting on it. And what they said in the article I read this evening um, in the newspaper from the state capitol in Lansing, they don't know how many machines this affects, and they don't know for how long um, this issue has been going on. And, and, and that's, that's troubling um, because there are people who are um, potentially in prison, certainly people who have had convictions, um, based upon fraudulent evidence from the state, and their lives have been turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I don't know how Michigan is going to make that right. So what, what, does, what does this mean for people in Michigan who've been tested on this machine? Can well, people again, revisit their convictions? Potentially that's what is being... Um, Alleged that they um, are to the, the the state police are the people who run their program, and they have sent letters to the prosecutors telling them that they need to reevaluate their their cases and their convictions based upon this um, information that they just re- released. But the problem is, if they don't know when it began, how far back can they go? Well, yeah. Intoximeter is the company. Um, that was doing the certification. And so you can start presumably with when intoximeters took over and say every test since they started certifying the machines are potentially subject to um, falsification and potentially those test results are not, um, were not appropriately introduced into evidence. Now, we're, um, we're dancing on the head of a pin right now, Kyla. Okay. Because there's no allegation that I have seen so far that the instruments cannot read accurately and reliably. What are the records the, that were allegedly being falsified? Correct, because um, I'm, I'm not sure about Canada, but in, in, in the United States, um, the breath evidence ticket is classic hearsay. It's an out-of-court statement that's made to prove the truth of the matter asserted. Mm -hmm. And so until um, probably 30 or 40 years ago, the states, when they were doing a DUI case that had a breath evidence ticket, they would have to bring somebody in to verify that the test was performed accurately and that the results were accurate. Right. So what the legislators did was they said, okay, Departments of Toxicology or in, uh, Michigan State Police or whoever runs the program, you make the rules as to how these tests can come into evidence. And so what they did was the, the agencies, um, like Michigan, 
they said, we're going to check the, the functionality of these machines every 120 days. And if those tests pass, and if that machine is certified, and then a test is performed 119 days later, that breath evidence ticket comes in because it's presumed that that result is accurate and reliable. Okay. Well, if, if, the, if the machine is not certified, for instance, if you run the test on the 121st day after it was certified, that test does not automatically come into evidence. And so it could come in in other ways should the state try to do that. They could bring some, you know, somebody from their office to come in. Well, one day is not that big a deal. We tested it the next day, blah, blah, blah. But they would need somebody to come in and um, vouch for that evidence. Mm -hmm. But if they got it done within the 120 days, that evidence vouches for itself. And so that's the problem that Michigan has right now is they've got nobody to vouch for the document. And here's the bigger problem. The person who created the false document would be the person who would have to come in to vouch for the document. <laughs> so you've got a guy who's lied, who's now going to come in, but I'm telling the truth now. Yeah, but so I it's swear. A big problem. <laughs> I would love to be the lawyer that cross-examines that poor sucker. <laughs> Well, and I want to be in the crowd when that happens. Mm-hmm. I want to see exactly how that happens. I want to see how the jury responds to it because it, it's a no-win situation for the state of Michigan, which is why they said, okay, we're taking these out of service. We're going to recertify them. And from now, for the foreseeable future, start doing blood tests. So, and so it's going to get expensive, but, you know, it, at least they are doing something about it and didn't try to cover it up. Unlike what happened in um, Massachusetts and what happened in New Jersey, where um, it took attorneys finding these things that the state knew about and still let the testing go on without any kind of notice to the world. Wow. I don't understand, though, like, I mean, if this has happened in in Missouri, if this has happened in other states, um, why is it that it happens in Michigan and why is it that that intoximeters is is still doing it? Like, is this a systemic problem that's coming from the intoximeters level, or is this just lazy employees who just want to sign off on something because they figure, eh, good enough for government? Like, what 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 motivates this? I I, I really don't know. Um, intoximeters is probably the most closed. Um, of the breath testing manufacturing um, companies. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, the original manufacturer of the uh, Datamaster DMT, National Patent Analytical System, was the most open. They would give you whatever you wanted. If you wanted the source code, give them 250 bucks and a, an agreement to not create your own DMT based upon their software, and you could examine it to your heart's content. Whereas in toximeters, they won't even let you look inside the machine uh, to see exactly what's there. And, and, and so it, it's, it's a corporate systemic secrecy from intoximeters. But let's be clear, Massachusetts was not an intoximeters company, and New Jersey was not an intoximeters machine. And so it, it's within the industry. And, and I just don't understand. If, you're, if your device functions well, it seems to me that you would be willing to let anybody examine it anytime, any place, anywhere, 
because you know that you've got a quality product. And, and that's, that's really the problem. And it doesn't just hurt the Michigan data master test. I think this now calls into question any um, intoximeter manufactured machine is now subject to question based upon this company's um, secrecy and refusing to respond to Michigan's request. And was it intoximeters that was also responsible for the other states that you mentioned where there were the cover-ups? No, I believe those were Draeger machines. Ah. I don't think they were <laughs> CMI machine. Um, and so, no. Um, to my knowledge, this is the first time that intoximeters has been in the crosshairs for a long time. Okay. Um, I mean, that... This is interesting. I know this podcast is in British Columbia, Canada, but this is interesting for our listeners, Chuck, because we in Canada use the Intox ECIR2 and the Intoximeter Alcosensor FST um, for roadside testing. So we're using only products from Intoximeters that, uh, that are being tested, supposedly, through their agents um, using a company here. Uh, and we're concerned. We <laughs> and I think rightly so. I think rightly so because um, the instruments don't the instruments don't do what they claim they can do. And language is very important. And if you look at the um, the brochure and the literature and the advertisement about the ECIR two and the Alcosensor FST, it says that it's specific for alcohols, plural. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a very important distinction because when we think about a DUI case, particularly in the state of Indiana, our legislature has defined alcohol as being ethyl alcohol, oh. which most people refer to as drinking alcohol, beer, mm-hmm. wine, distilled spirits. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, the good stuff. And there are alcoholics who will, uh, to mask their alcohol consumptions, will, will drink methyl alcohol. Um, former um, Massachusetts First Lady Kitty Dukakis, it came out after her husband's um, presidential run that she was an alcoholic and she was drinking perfume. Wow. Um, my, wow. When I was a kid, my dad was telling me about um, the people on Skid Row in Chicago who would go to cars, drain their antifreeze through um, bread, and they would drink the antifreeze. And that's methyl alcohol, wood alcohol, and, and it will kill you. It will blind you. It will harm you. But these people, they can't get regular alcohol, so they find ways to drink alcohol. Well, the problem with the ECIR2 is that it's infrared measuring system, and that's the IR and the ECIR. EC is electrochemical, and we'll talk about that in just a second. The IR portion only has one filter in the relevant wavelength, and so it can't distinguish between methyl alcohol, isopropyl alcohol, um, ethyl alcohol, or even some of the components that are in um, um, the chemicals that they use at um, nail salons. And so because it can't distinguish between those things, you are getting potentially falsely elevated readings from things that are not um, beer, wine, and distilled spirits. The fuel cell also doesn't really have a way to um, 
distinguish between those things. They talk about how there's peaks and, and the peaks come at different times based upon the alcohol. But our state does not do testing to see that it can distinguish between ethyl alcohol, methyl alcohol, and isopropyl alcohol. So it, it's problematic because intoximeters won't release that information to us to show us how it makes those distinctions based upon what they're doing. And, and the thing to remember is all breath testing devices, even the FST, is a computer. And it's following instructions based upon the software that's programmed into that computer to do the measurement. And that's why it's important for the courts to order these types of um, secrets to be released so that we can confront the evidence that our clients are facing. How, I mean, how would you respond? In Canada here, we have this prohibition. We get, we're allowed to get a, a copy of the breath test tickets, um, a certificate setting out the readings, the results of the blank test, the results of the alcohol standard tests, and the results of the internal diagnostic tests and a, cert a certificate saying that the gas standard that they use um, is suitable for use. That's it. That's all we're allowed for disclosure. How would you, like, attack that if you were faced with those obstacles in and knowing what you now know about intoximeters, you know, at least in one state, having at least one person who's, who's forging certificates saying everything's fine? Yeah. Um... I hear that in Canada, you like to play this game called hockey. <laughs> it's played on ice. Yeah. And what if you and I were playing, our teams were playing, and my team, based upon my rules in my arena, says that the goal that you have to put the puck into is two inches wide and a half an inch high. <laughs> and, the goal, and the goal that I get to shoot my pucks into is 25 feet wide and 50 feet high. Would that be a fair game? Of course not. That's what the crown is doing by restricting your access. It yeah. is not a fair game because you don't have the right to challenge what's in there. And it's like they have um, determined not to get all religious, but that these numbers came down from the mount with Moses when he was talking to God. <laughs> and, and it's just, it, 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 it's a machine. And it, I, I joke with people, you will never find a machine that doesn't make a mistake or capable of making a mistake except for a breath testing device. When you hear the government or the crown talk about these machines, they've never made a mistake because they self-diagnostics and they passed the self-diagnostics. Yeah. Well, er earlier this year, um, Boeing decided to launch a rocket into space. And they have checklists that they have to go through to make er sure everything's working properly. And that rocket didn't make it out of, the, um, out of orbit, out of the Earth's atmosphere. And yet it passed all of the pre-checks but yet it, the result was it flew, it got off the launch pad, but it never got to where it was going. Well, mm -hmm. just because we get a number on a ticket, that doesn't mean that it's accurate and reliable. And just because they say it works because it passed those foundational things, 
that doesn't mean that that result is accurate or liable, reliable. So a lot of other lawyers in Michigan are saying this is the end of the Data Master DMT and, and they're going to get a new instrument and everything's going to be uh, hunky-dory and they're going to switch over to like a CMI instrument. Do you buy that? I don't. And, and, and this is the reason why. Um, to buy these new instruments, they're going to be six or seven thousand dollars a piece, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to buy two hundred and three of them. I think is how many DMTs they have. Wow, that's over. That's about a million and a half dollars. And Michigan can't fix the water problem that they've got in Flint because they don't have the money. How are they going to um, find the money to get these new breath testing devices? Well, and what- the problem. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, let me be devil's advocate here, because I know that governments love throwing money at investigating and prosecuting impaired drivers, because that gets them votes. Convictions get votes. Good technology to keep drunks off the road and protect our children gets votes. And it, it, it plays well with voters. Clean water never is a sexy issue. Until your kid dies. Um, but... But, but, but here's, here's the thing. The prob- Nobody has said the machines don't function properly. So why would you spend a million and a half dollars on something that you could fix for less than 30000 mm-hmm. You know, hire somebody to come in and recertify all the machines and then just keep paying them to certify it or train somebody within the state police to, to do this. It's not that difficult a job, um, and, and it could be done fairly easily. You know, when I found out that Intoximeters was getting $400,000 a year to certify these instruments, I would quit practice of law tomorrow if they gave me $400,000 to certify 200 machines every 120 days. Shit, they can hire I mean, me. I'll come down there. That's four hundred grand U.S. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we'd make a team, you know, and, and, and clearly could get it done. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't think that the problem is as, calamitous as what some people are trying to say. Mm-hmm. Now, that I say that with this caveat. We don't know the full extent of the problems that they have. Um, I own two BAC, Data Master DMTs, and I own one BAC Data Master. And I believe them to be the best breath testing devices on the market available. And so any machine that they're going to get is not going to be as good. It's going to be more expensive. And it's not going to solve the problem, which the problem is human error. And, mm-hmm. and in this case, maybe human fraud. And so there's really not a reason to do that. Where it could become problematic is if they go after intoximeters, I don't know how they're going to get the, the parts to fix it. Um, I don't know if, they, if National Patents, the former manufacturer, would be willing to um, set up some sort of arrangement that they would um, – provide the components for the machine um, or, or what the contracts are between the various parties. But um, I, I just think that there are ways that Michigan can utilize the devices that they have and not spend a million or two million taxpayer dollars to get something that's not as good. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's actually a very interesting point. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with all of this. What, what could the consequences be for 
intoximeters or for the, you know, if it's one person that's responsible for this, what kind of consequences? I know they're conducting a criminal investigation. What would they be facing potentially as a sentence if they're convicted? Well, I don't know that anybody at the factory, the Forrester family that owns intoximeters, I'm not sure that they're going to have personal liability criminally unless they directed or encouraged the fraudulent behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, respondent superior means that the company is responsible for the actions of its underlings, but when's the last time you saw somebody who worked um, as a corporate executive go to prison for something that their um, companies did? Um, I think the last one I can remember was the Enron thing yeah. back, was that the late 90s, early 2000s? Um, you know, that's the last time I've seen that, and that had to do with exactly this. They were they were billing people and taking money and not providing services, I think. Um, I don't remember 100%, but that's my recollection. Um, but potentially, you've got, for the last five years, any DUI case that was built and um, on a breath test result is subject to review, and how the government will choose to address that, whether they will um, say, okay, we'll um, give you a chance to plead to a public intoxication and not a DUI, will you take that for time served? And you might get people who who go about doing that. And the government could also say, no, we also got you for being intoxicated, which had nothing to do with the test result, which I would argue is not true, but still that's what they could argue. And um, so some of those convictions could still stand. The bigger issue is um, like we're seeing people now sue for um, tobacco. We're seeing uh, suits. I'm seeing these all the time about the baby powder. Um, you know, they're, they're suing for that. You could see um, personal injury lawyers um, going after intoximeter um, for the damage caused to their clients um, because intoximeter falsified results for machines that should have not allowed records to be used to convict people at trial. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, are you going to find a, a PI firm that's going to be willing to take those measures? Uh, I, could, I could foresee that. Okay. Well, a lot to work out. Uh, we will probably check back in with you in the future on this podcast as things develop so you can, like, keep us apprised of what's going on because the people that listen to this podcast are very interested in these types of issues. So thank you so much, Chuck, for joining us. How can people reach you if they're um, in your area and they want to hire you? Um, if they want to reach me, um, they can call me um, at, on my cell phone, 260-433-2881, um, or they can go to my website, uh, rathburnlaw.com, R-A-T-H-B-U-R-N-L-A-W.com, um, I'm available that way um, as well. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but um, this certainly impacts you and I in our practice because we have the ECIR too, and this can Mm -hmm. certainly impact records and challenges um, to test results because I think we can say safely that if the company is willing to falsify documents in one state, what's to prevent us from thinking they falsified things in ours? No, so exactly. I, I think this opens up a lot of arguments for us. And, you know, I know you and I, we like to fight these cases. We don't necessarily believe the results, and we've now got a little bit more 
um, ammunition that we can use to help our clients. Excellent. Well, if uh, anybody out there has an impaired driving charge or any other type of intoxication or criminal matter, um, give a call to Chuck because he is um, definitely somebody who will help you a lot. And again, one of the smartest people I know. So I'm really appreciative that he took the time to join us here on the podcast. Thank you again to Chuck Rathburn for joining us and sharing all of his amazing insight about the situation in Michigan, is what we're calling it. And now, as always, our sometimes guest host, Paul Doroshenko, is back. I wanted to be part of the discussion with Chuck, but we couldn't figure out the technology here. We have a technological flaw. We know what it is. Now we just need the equipment to Figure fix out it. how to fix it. Yes. yes. We could do uh, an interview with three people or ten people here in the studio, but we can't do it when we've got somebody on the phone and multiple people doing it. So you'll have to tell me all about everything that Chuck said, but I know I have lots of ideas about this myself, obviously, because this has been like an, a life issue for me. Well, Chuck is taking the cautious approach. He's essentially saying we need to wait and see what the extent of it is. We don't know a lot of information yet, but this opens the door for us to say, we deserve more information in our clients' cases. And that's the whole point for me. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure Tim Foster will want to talk about this and maybe you can get him on the show because that's his life quest as well. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, anyway, Paul, I brought you in for the last few minutes of the podcast to talk about your favorite segment of the Driving Law Podcast, which is the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Of course, and we have two Ridiculous Drivers of the Week in a theme. They share a common... It's a common theme, and yeah. it's also during Snowmageddon here in Vancouver. If you're not in Vancouver, uh, you probably know people laugh at us because we're not prepared for it. The city doesn't want to spend a ton of money on snow removal equipment and stuff that's only used for a week. Uh, or so, and we're going to have our week of, we're in the middle of our week of snow. It's yep. all going to melt on the weekend. It's yep. going to get up to seven degrees, going to rain. It's all going to be gone. By Monday, it'll just be a mess. Well, that's good because it's really, really cold right now and I don't like it. <laughs> and it's dangerous walking. You know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm worried about falling. And I that, could break a oh, hip. The radio is all like, wear appropriate footwear. What do you mean wear appropriate footwear? Like I'm just suddenly supposed to go out and buy snow boots? Like I don't buy boots with big grip on them so that I can like walk around in snow. I have my flat shoes and my shoes with expensive soles that are stupid and that I regret buying. Um, but I really like those shoes. None of these are fit for 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 snow. I screw bottle caps onto the bottom of my shoes with uh, wood screws. I guess I could tape bottle caps to the bottom of my shoes. They have holes in them, they so have, it would cover the holes. They have these really good things that slip over your shoes that um, uh, I used to walk around on um, frozen rivers back when I lived in Alberta that had these, like, anyway. Okay. But so let's get back to the ridiculous two drivers. Two ridiculous drivers so are. One, one from Ontario, one from Calgary, both operating sanding trucks. Okay. So the one from Ontario, um, it's posted at somebody who's on the highway and uh, this truck, it looks like he's intentionally hit the passenger side of a Honda Civic in front of him and he's like pushing it off the Just side slowly. of the road. It's low speed. It's low speed, but there's also uh, another truck behind this truck that sort of looks like it's waiting for its turn. And ultimately this vehicle, the, the passenger vehicle is pushed over to the side and uh, the driver of the sanding truck uh, continues on. Yeah. And there's no indication, uh, I guess the OPP are trying to figure out 
who are these people? They know roughly where it is. You can tell on the highway, but who are these people? What happened? How come none of this is reported? Mm -hmm. um, and um, what's going on here? So, and when did it happen? When did it happen? Um, you know, it's not a lot of snow on the road or anything like that, but who, you know, if you're driving this truck and you're continuing to push this vehicle, what's going on? And it kind of looked like it was the last bit of a road rage incident with a sanding truck driver. Yeah. And then in Calgary. Calgary, another person driving a sanding truck piles into a bunch of vehicles. We're talking destroying vehicles. People just got out of the vehicles. You, you watch it. The video is just absolutely dramatic. We'll make it's sure that uh, Lewis put the links. Speed. Yeah. Yeah. And piles into a bunch of cars. Ultimately, like, boom. <laughs> given a uh, careless driving ticket, said they the driver said they lost control. To me, it looks like Speeding. reading a text message and speeding. Um, but, um, there's yeah, no, there's so. no downhills in Calgary where you lose control and pick up speed to be going that fast. Well, no, it's got nothing to do with yeah, a hill. You can see that. But, uh, I mean, I guess I would say shout out to all those people who are driving, uh, all of that equipment, removing the snow across Canada. Uh, it is uh, a job that I think I probably would have enjoyed doing because sure. you're getting a job done. And uh, shout out but, to those of you specifically who aren't being a-holes while you're doing it. Well, and you know, the vast majority of those people driving those vehicles are conscientiously thinking about the other drivers on the road for whom they are trying to create safe roads. Uh, and they are also driving safely. But then we have, um, these two individuals who, uh, appear, you know, the one in Ontario, one starts to think that there's an issue there. Uh, and the one in Calgary, I would bet dollars to donuts. It was a cell phone, but I'm sure they can never prove that one. Nope. But put people at risk. Yep. Well, those Dangerous. are the ridiculous drivers of the week. And that's our podcast for this week. I'm sorry that you were only here for a short time, but you know. I could have sat here quietly and listened to you going, uh-huh, with Chuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You mocking me? No. You're, you're a good interviewer. That's what you do. If you're a good interviewer, you're following it up with questions. I have questions. good guests who are smart and can direct the conversation in a very interesting way. I don't have to ask a lot. Chuck is a neat guy and um, thinks about a lot of the same things we do. So Yes. So if you want to contact us, um, you can find us online, VancouverCriminalLaw.com, or give us a call, 604-685-8889, and tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Driving Law Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.